Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, strength guild, um, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and just whatever else I feel like dabbling in. So. Sweet. Just got back from the Arnold, so it's been. I'm still not caught up on sleep. It's mainly <laughs> the driving. It was 24 hours of driving in two days. So. Oh my God. Um, yeah, yeah. Is it worth well, it? Oh yeah, it's worth it. It's always good to go get caught up with everybody. And we showed up there Friday night. And had to go directly to the expo to drop off stuff to people. It, was, it just closed down, so it was a little quieter down there. But uh, mm-hmm. and then went over to Wendler's house, had dinner with them, and shot the ship for a couple hours, and then had to wake up and go to the expo. And it was it was mad. I figured it'd be slower. Last year was year it was a year twenty or something like that. So it was a madhouse last year, but it was just about as mad this weekend. And from talking to everybody at booths, like Friday was their busiest Friday ever. So there was a lot of people selling, almost selling out stuff on Friday. Now they didn't shut anything down, didn't they? Shut something down before? Yeah, last year they shut. They didn't let anybody in, so it didn't quite get to that point. But man, it was close because uh, it was just bottlenecked in there at certain places but uh no it was a good time and just seeing some of the stuff like they built that big uh the wheel of death or whatever it was this year it was like a giant conan's wheel from the movie oh uh, hmm. it was huge that thing was it couldn't fit in my gym and I, my gym's big mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i mean it was it was giant and uh um just the crowds and and stuff like that. So it was, it was a good time. Now, was, the expo was, itself, the guys milling around the expo, are they as diverse? You know, everyone, before we hit record, we were talking about the how Arnold, I think, wisely expanded, you know, into all these sports. He even calls it a sports festival. Do the people milling around at the expo, are they still mostly bodybuilders, or is it just a huge mix there, too? No, honestly, it's weird, because I brought two people with me that had never been. And... uh they were amazed at the fact that like ninety percent of the crowd doesn't look like they've seen a gym. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like you can't tell that they're even into fitness, um, and just driving up on the streets. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's there's bodybuilders, tons of powerlifters. I mean, my views probably a little bit skewed because a lot of the people that I go visit were from a powerlifting background. Yeah. Um, so I end up at a booth with a lot of lots of powerlifters and strong men. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, there's everything there. And this year, oddly enough, was weird. There was a large presence of alcohol in the building. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I had never seen that before. Like the the uh, Patron girls were there with a the booth, and they're serving beer over at the Island Games and and things like that. There was you know numerous alcohol companies. This sounds explosive to me with that many people. That's what I thought. I was like, how do people – and we talked about this before. It was like, how are there not fights here? <laughs> with yeah. this many people, right? And uh, high testosterone and, uh, and drunk. High testosterone, and now you throw beer into the, the alcohol into the equation. <laughs> uh, wow! I didn't see any, but uh, I'm sure there are some. I'm sure there's a few every weekend, but uh, it's not like something normal you run into. But one of these days, if we, um, like you and I were talking about before off the air, if we go down and you know partner up with a booth or do some recordings or interviews yeah. or something something to draw me down there because i mean i'm only two and a half hours away and i haven't been down yeah. there in years i mean my my recollection is the people milling around at the expo were a bunch of bodybuilder looking people yeah you know? not so much anymore i mean you get that a little bit but i mean now with crossfit there and strongman and everything else the crowd is is very diverse but that's probably also the reason why it's so huge now oh sure you're not you're not just drawing in one niche you're drawing in Numerous niches. So yeah. martial artists, uh, right? I mean, there's yeah. a whole bunch. So you've got a little bit of everybody walking around, which leads up to, which adds up to one huge crowd. So mm-hmm. that are all kind of fitness based in some way. But right. no, it's a good yeah. time. Not that many supplement companies. 
um, well, then, comparatively. Well, then what makes you know. the expo? I mean, my my memory is that it was like 90% supplements. Yeah, that's all it used to be. And now it's now it's a little bit of everything. I mean, there's there's some supplement companies, lots of apparel companies, lots of people making stuff. Um, Mike Stan was there with his booth efforting uh, mm-hmm. with his coolers and things like the other oh. inventions he's had. Mm-hmm. So a lot more stuff. There's a lot more equipment, like heavy equipment or no? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, like people there selling, selling equipment and, you know, straps and wraps and blah, 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 blah. It used to be a lot more, here's a bunch of samples. We hope you buy some supplements. Oh, totally. Now now it's more a retail spot, honestly. So there's lots of people there buying stuff. I think that's probably good uh, overall. Yeah. Yeah, and things will go up. And they, they put things on discount and things like that for the expo. But, uh, yeah, that no, was a good time. It was a good time. Got to see... Uh, you know, some impressive Highland Games stuff, and then in the half Thor almost pulled a 501 kilo deadlift. He started bleeding from his forehead. You know you're trying hard when your forehead starts bleeding. <laughs> it's almost comical. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, Shaw hurt himself on day one oh, on the death. I think he, he tried a 1,060 or 1,056, something like that. So... I mean, that was kind of brutal of them to choose that. They're like, okay, we're going to put up $50,000 for anybody that can pull over 500 kilos. And it's going to be the first event of the Strongman competition. Yeah, you're asking for trouble maybe, huh? Yeah, because, you know, that's enough money. Of course, they're all going to push it. You know, you're talking 50K. Right, yeah. uh, But then it's event one of a long weekend. So Exactly, yeah. um, Yeah, so that was was pretty neat. Now, you Uh, said... um, you said just uh, a little while ago that the, even though it was pushed to the corner in a lot of ways, the money is still better for the bodybuilders, huh? Yeah, and that's one thing. I didn't realize that until right before the show. I was just going in and, and kind of rehashing the weekend for myself. And, like, uh, where's the prize money on here? For the strong man, of course, it was half or one. And he won $72,000, I believe, um, for taking first. Not bad. And I think it dropped down to like thirty thousand per second, and then on down on the the road. To, you know, Brian won four grand for being eighth, um, but first place in bodybuilding took one hundred thirty more than you know, pretty much double what the top uh, strongman took. And wow. second was still seventy five thousand. So the second place person finished with more than the first place strongman. Uh, I wonder what is underwriting. <clears throat> underwriting the difference there you know like you said supplement companies used to be behind everything and yeah. if their presence is less i wonder if they're still like who's funding it, that you know the the, the bodybuilding still, stuff is more lucrative well it still has to be that but i think a large part of it is probably i mean just crowd twenty dollars a head times fifty thousand people you know? oh so okay yeah there's um, that <laughs> So you got a nice chunk of change right there. I mean, you're talking what? What is that? A million bucks? A million, yeah. You know, just for entering the door, and that's before booth sales, everything else. So right. Oh yeah, make no know, mistake. Sure they, I mean, I, I don't know what those booths go for. Probably, <laughs> probably a thousand dollars a pop or something. Just have a little space. Yeah, you know, well, at least yeah. And I think it's more than that now. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, you get and as many booths as they have, it's big. So it used to be a square shaped room. Now it's an L shaped room, and so I mean, it just keeps growing. But, and then every room in that place is full of something else. So I'm sure those events that are taking up a large room pay pay a nice chunk of change. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're pulling in a lot of money. So, <laughs> and then corporate contracts and or, you know, uh, sponsorships and things like that. So, and I'm sure the city uh, gives them a hell of a deal. So just because all the people that you know how many hotels they have to fill up, I mean, right. And things like that. So, well, you know, I, mean, with, whole- I was just going to say with the demonopolization of stuff like bodybuilding, you know, it used to be like weeder contract athletes or contract athletes or some of the big supplement companies. And it almost took the place instead of just the prize winnings, like instead of a bunch of broke bodybuilders, you know, or I imagine powerlifters just showing up to make most of their annual income, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like 50 grand at a time by winning something. Um I wonder how things have evolved. I'll have to poke around and see who might want to be on the show, and we can talk about like h- how that even works. How are you a professional these days? Do you still get a big contract with a single company, or is everybody more or less like a free agent, freelancer? You know, I wonder. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I mean, I'm so not in touch with it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
that I don't know. I mean, and I think a lot of these people, at least on the the strongman side and the powerlifting side, it's not just one main company usually. It's there. They have several mm-hmm. that are, mm-hmm. you know, like I think Brian Shaw, he's like some meat company and everything else uh, sponsors him. So, so it's not which, always their own. It's not always their own yeah. business, you're right. Yeah, no, that's... which from that end is is great. Somebody that big, you know, like he's getting free food. That's that's right. a huge impact. Yeah. So, um, you know, that could be a, a largest expense. I mean, I'm not nowhere near the size of, of Brian or any of those guys, and uh, you know, food is our number one expense. Oh yeah, are, those guys are like what, like six, seven, four hundred pounds plus. Oh, I'll tell you what, that was amazing. Was like we were, I was standing twelve inches away from half Thor. And we'll see him walk out and see Brian Shaw walk out. Like, Brian is giant. And all those guys are just unworldly big. Mm-hmm. But Half Thor makes them look like me standing next to Brian Shaw. Oh, my. He is just in another category. He is just <laughs> so huge. <laughs> I mean, because I always thought those other guys were huge. And then you see him walk out at 6'9", or whatever he is, for yeah. something. It's like, oh, my goodness. He oh, is yeah. He is a just beastly and on his way up still that's the difference is like where's he gonna go <laughs> right so you know it's a good point you know five years from now are they gonna be saying 500 is the new 400 you know for body weight because i remember them saying 400 is the new 300 okay that's hard to get my head around but like you said where do they go from there i mean he is just so large and uh no it was it was interesting it was being being a part of that but uh you know, Did listeners, you I was just going to tell everybody, if you um, if you haven't been actually in the physical presence, like photos don't do these guys justice. Mm-hmm. Video does some, but nothing's like like Phil just said, you know, standing 12 inches away from one of these guys. You're like, holy God, you know, yeah. just a mountain. Well, and the funny thing is it's like it's usually the opposite with bodybuilding. You see the pictures and you're like, holy crap, he's giant. But then you get next to him, like, holy crap, you're short. <laughs> oh, short, yeah. I was going to say, because they, they are freaking mad. You watch those guys yeah. walk around. They look like silverback gorillas, you know. Yes, yes, they do, um, very much so. But you'd think, just in an image, you think, oh, man, he's huge. And thinking he's 6'2 or something. And But then you get, it's like, wow, you're short. <laughs> right, yeah. But built like a just a brick house. So, right. yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. But, um, no, it was a good weekend. And, you know, like I said, that. Just the, the the weirdest point for me, money wise, was the uh, that still is like all I hear about is the strongman, the strongman, the strongman. That's like the big thing, and it's right there in the expo on a huge stage, so it's right in your face the whole weekend. Um, and you don't see much about the bodybuilding, right? But they're they're making half of what the bodybuilders are. Yeah. Hmm. But so we'll have to ask. Maybe uh, we've had Chris Bongiovanni on or Branch Warren. Maybe I mean those are the only people I know is still really wrapped up in the. The promotions and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we can. I'll fire an email and say, "How does this even work these days?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But so, okay. other than that, you know, like I said, just good, good weekend. It was always always fun to catch up with people. So, good stuff. Uh, I have three listener mails here, everybody, um, and two bits of science news. And then after the break, we're going to talk about what makes a quality rep or a quality contraction if you will. Um, but I digress. Let me let me get, just get through some of these so I don't ignore anybody. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is from Arthur. He says, uh, Hi, my name is Arthur. I'm a postgraduate researcher here in Ireland, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. Uh, I also co-host a podcast called the No Lift Podcast. Like what you do with Iron Radio, it aims to provide info and entertaining content for people who lift weights, uh, admittedly mostly powerlifters. Anyway, congrats on reaching episode 500 and the 10-year mark with Iron Radio. That longevity is an amazing achievement, particularly when you consider how many podcasts come and go within a year or two. Uh, and then he was talking about maybe being have, having some of us on his show and that kind of thing. So um, thanks, Arthur. That's cool stuff. Uh, I am going to do what I can to reach out with that. I, I don't know how you are, Phil, but I am really bad about doing anything but this. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like introverted and I just, it does help probably to cross pollinate across the podcasts. Yeah. And I just don't do it. So yeah. uh, that'll be interesting. Um, here's one for you. This is from Neil. 
Uh, he says, good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I've been practicing my coffee tasting, so I'll be ready to go when it's time to get the real thing done. And again, he's referring to the the taste test. Um, we sent the quote-unquote coffee invention out to everyone. But in any case, I have a question for Phil uh, that I hope you could pass along. Um, I have, over the past year or so, been getting into Highland Games. Mm-hmm. Um I've been to a couple of competitions and uh, quote-unquote competed, and then in parentheses he says, read, download a ton of advice, and make a few pathetic little tosses <laughs> uh, once. Uh, I've been yeah. steadily on a student budget, collecting and building my own implements. Recently, I've seen that there are a few strap hammers on the market, like the Elite FTS Spud Hammer. My question is this. What are your thoughts on training with a rigid hammer, like a mace, a flexible hammer like PVC and a strap or chain hammer. Thanks so much. Stay well. Sincerely, Neil. Oh boy, we just had this conversation the other day at the gym, um, and and I think you can use one. The difference is uh, uh, there's a huge difference in between a static hammer, i.e., PVC, mm-hmm. and a chain or a strap because. The the PVC is not forgiving, you know. You have to be mobile in order to get that thing in the placement it needs to be. Oh. Whereas the chain or strap will loop around you. So can you so, explain I mean, to everybody how what he means, like in the in the hammer, the, the whole use of this implement and and the event and just everything? Yeah. So basically, in the Scottish hammer, it's different than the Olympic hammer. In the Olympic hammer, a strap works. That's why they use it, and it's it's basically a ball on a steel cable. Um, okay. In the Olympic hammer, where you 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 yourself spin in a circle um, with this ball on the end of a, a cable with a handle on it, mm-hmm. and you yourself spin in a circle inside of a circle, mm-hmm. and then then throw it. Usually, it's like a three turn. Um, yep. With the Scottish hammer, you stay static, and at the the higher level, you're actually more than static. You are anchored into the ground by like twelve inch spikes. Um, oh. They keep you in place because once you get enough tension on it, like I got to the point where I couldn't throw further because I was spinning so hard and fast that it would suck me off the ground, even at 270 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, it starts pulling you back yeah. on the upswing. So so you get yourself anchored in the ground, and you stand facing away from where you're going to throw. You're going to throw this thing behind you. Um, and it's a big ball, 16 or 22 pounds, on the end of a piece of PVC or traditionally rattan. Um, and you spin it above your head. And throw it behind you, so you, you lean way back. You end up leaning way back, head towards head to the side, because this thing's on a rigid pole. So, and you need to get a, a kind of a flatter plane. Okay. To throw this thing makes sense. So, um, the problem is with those strap handles, uh, they're forgiving. They will bend around you more so than the rigid handle, which makes you you need to fully extend and get way laid back. You, know, you like like you see a lot of these guys. They're really good. Uh, I think it's Skyler. Arneson is a uh, he like trusts his blades big time and like if, if they give he's falling <laughs> down on his back but okay he'll just lay into those blades and lay way back and uh you know you have to with that rigid handle and the placement of it too i mean it's it's kind of an art form where your your downstroke of the hammer is over to your right side even though you're spinning from right to left your body naturally wants to lay it to the left side but you want your high stroke to be over your left shoulder so the low point needs to be over your right foot, um, and if you have you have a cable, like I said, it's going to be forgiving. Your your arms can twist around you, and that cable can 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 kind of lay back for you instead of the the weight. So, I mean, I think if that's all you have, uh, go for it. But honestly, there's ways you can cheaply make a PVC one for a practice, at least for practice swings, maybe not practice throws. It's just get a piece of PVC and track down some of the old school one inch weights. You know, now they're the big diameter Olympic weights. Right. Yep. But the but the old barbells were the little one inch. Right. Standard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you can slide those onto a piece of PVC. So and if you want twenty two pounds, just find two tens and a two and a half. Oh. Now you got twenty five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and at least now you may not be able to throw that because those little plates are going to jingle and jangle all around. They're not a, a solid piece of steel. Um, but at least you can lay out and get, get your swings right, which is honestly the biggest part. Most people don't – most people want to go out and throw. I want to throw real hard and far. 
and what they need to be practicing on is getting getting full extension like you don't want your arms to bend at all um if you know anything about force production and things like that the longer lever arm you have the longer the more potential for force there is yeah totally Mm -hmm. so you want to stay as long long as you can and you want your arms long what happens is people on the upstroke instead of laying back they bend their arms so that's why you need to let you lay back and then your arms can stay fully extended um so just practice that you know just don't even practice spinning hard practice spinning right hitting your target on your over your right foot and the top over your left shoulder and just spin that thing so i did for my hammers was just slow it down and try and do it right Okay. So. I was just going to say it may be worth actually just um, – sounds like a video would describe this a lot better. I don't, yeah. I don't know if Neil's actually looked at any any videos of you know rigid versus more flexible hammers and whatnot, but I, I'm going to go look myself now because I'm curious yeah. how this no, works. That's what I would do. I mean I had one of those hammers for a while that I just made out of plates, and then it will allow you to at least lay out, and you might be able to throw it a few times. And honestly, even if you break your PVC, they're like a dollar right. and a quarter. Right. So it's buy PVC. ten of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. buy ten of them in case you break it. So okay. uh, you know, throw ten bucks into it. But good stuff. So okay, uh, one more um, from Alan, and I think you and I can both weigh in on this from different sides of things. He says, um, "Thanks again for addressing the elephant in your recent episode five ten. I appreciate your candor, and I value your and Phil's opinions." <laughs> Uh, I continue to enjoy weight training, usually four to five times a week, uh, fitted between my swimming with a club and occasional Sunday bike ride. So he's uh, very cross-training here. Uh, The bike rides have been tapering off since my hip started going south, and I don't want to wade back through all the history. But it'll be replaced next week. So, you know, Phil, you're like the champion of of so many people now, you know, as far as talking about it and, you know, giving advice. Um, Anyway, uh, and I expect to be out of the gym for 6 to 12 weeks. Anything I can do to minimize muscle loss during my recovery period, either dietary or supplements. Uh, Thanks, Alan. Uh, Alan, I can tell you one thing. Um, When you look at a lot of the the literature, I think it's almost, in some ways, it feels opposite to me from the way most lifters think. Most people think, I'm in a mass phase, I'm going to eat tons of protein because I want the building blocks and the growth. But the truth is, those protein uh, pulses or doses throughout the day, you know, leucine rich, something like whey protein four times a day, get yourself 20 to 40 grams at a pop, I'd even say 40. That becomes very important when you're inactive, right? Because you don't have sort of the contractile stimulus for muscle growth to the same extent. But obviously consuming whey protein will increase muscle protein synthesis. So it feels like, oh, well, I'm just off. I'm just going to eat whatever I want, you know, and I'm not going to worry about my diet. But in fact, um, it's a very important time to go after the quality proteins and keep your protein synthesis, you know, spiking a couple of times a day. Uh, so you don't atrophy. Uh, Phil, but you lived through this. What did you do to prevent muscle loss? Oh, man. I was up and moving as quickly as possible and back in the gym as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, and remember, it's just your hip. From the waist up, you're fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if you can get yourself to lay down on a bench and do some stuff, do it. Was that hard? Um, same things. Was yeah. That- no, it was easier. After, honestly, it was easier after the surgery than it was before. To, to do things like sit down. So you weren't weirded uh, out when you did like heavier bench work or something? or uh... No, not at all. I just did it with my legs straight for a while, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, that's what I'd do. I'd get back to training something as quickly as you can. And then other than that, I mean, take your doctor's advice as far as the, uh, the um, hip goes. Number one is learn to walk right first because you've probably been walking funny. So get up on your walker and walk a lot. You know, the more active you stay, you're not going to – you know, just moving around is going to help that. If you oh, turn into a potato and just took root, <laughs> right, uh, right. then that's not going to help you at all. So, you know, Phil, um, like in research, a lot of times um, when they like NASA studies, they're trying to always do countermeasures to the muscle loss and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's actually one of the targets I'm hoping with these this coffee invention thing that we've been working on. But in any case, bed rest is devastating. That's one of the ways they mimic microgravity right like space flight is total bed rest or in rat studies they'll put their little rat's hind legs (laughs) up on wheels so they kind of dangle and then you know their little haunches just atrophy like crazy so to your point just being ambulatory 
and walk, walking with the walker and all that kind of stuff, it's going to send the neural signal down there so it doesn't shrink. Yes. At least some, right? I mean, it's yeah. not not like a, a full training stimulus, but it's going to be no. way better than, like you said, just being a freaking sweet potato and yeah, <laughs> laying like on the couch. Like when you get your bicep done and they, they literally immobilize it and put it in a cast. You mm-hmm. come out of that thing and it has shrank so bad. Right. It's because it hasn't moved. Yeah. Your hip's not like that. They want you up and moving as quickly as possible. So the more you can do that, the better. And like I was immediately, pretty quickly, once I could walk right, trying to, okay, now let's start working on some mobility and things like that. <clears throat> so What did you do for calories and all that? Did you – um? Did you just try to keep the protein coming? Did you go for extra vitamin C or anything like that, or what would you do? Yeah, I mean, basically basically just eat good, but eat lots. I mean, the the one thing I do with people is tell them when they have a surgery, it's no time to diet. It's no time to, oh, I'm going to get lean because I can't do anything else. That's a bad call. You need (laughs) extra calories. You need those extra calories to heal faster. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You know, and then he's mentioning – Episode 510, I mean, we'd all be dumb if we didn't say that you know, there's lots of literature out there on how things help AIDS patients and wasting and things like that, if that's the route he wants to go. You know? Right, yeah. So, I mean, that's it's there's honest. no lie to that. Yep. So, um, okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I do think there's probably quite a few guys and gals who are like, well, what can I do? I'll just lean down. It's like, no. That's a horrible idea. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's face it. For the first time. I don't know, a couple of weeks anyway, you're hypermetabolic yes. several days to a couple of weeks just from the injury response. Like post-surgery is a huge, stressful, hypermetabolic time. And just like I always say, feed a cold, f- feed that surgical recovery. Yeah. You know. Well, and if he's anything like me, I have no idea what size of person he is. But like the plan for my hip replacement was the new one where they come in and put like a little two-inch scar on the front of your hip. Uh, that went to the wayside when the doctor laid me down and started looking at me. Yeah. And he's like, we got too much stuff here to go through. So I got like a nine inch scar on the side of my hip. Right. And he's like, it was hell. You know, the doctor was like, it was, it was not fun. He was probably, probably (laughs) feeling more like a butcher of a big cow. (laughs) Yeah. So he had to cut through a lot of stuff. Um, so I mean the amount of tissue damage that was done was was tremendous. So there's a lot of recovery that's going on there. And that's, I mean, that's the only thing that hurt me after the fact was, the stuff he cut through, right? Um, oh, not, right. Not not so much the hip. So I mean, I think, all that stuff needs to heal. Yeah, that's true. The, all any surgery. I mean, think about guys who have open heart surgery, you know, and they separate their sternum and they do rib spreaders yeah. and all this stuff. It's the <laughs> it's the massive, massive surgical quote unquote wound that yeah. that demands so much of the the caution and the attention and the nutrition, you know, and yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, anything to do with that. and it, So you get a little fluffy over six weeks. It'll come back. You're going to be back to training faster than you thought you would. I mean, if, you, if you're if you smart but fairly aggressive about this and do what your doctors say, I mean, they're going to they're gonna push you to get up and moving. Now it's like, okay, you're moving. Now let's get, let's get start getting mobility in that thing. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that long, and I was loading it, not loading it crazy, but like goblet squats with a 20-pound kettlebell and things yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, all that stuff pays off. And if anything, he's probably been babying that hip for a while, like I was. So, I mean, even that kettlebell work, it was hard work for that leg, you know. And most of my time was spent, I was mentally, we're going to talk about this here in a little bit, like mind on muscle thing. I was mind on left leg. You know, that's all I was worried about is getting weight on that side because mm-hmm. it had been like nine years since I loaded that side, really. So all my attention was, okay, I need to get this leg used to holding weight again because it hasn't. So. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's it'll be once the repair is done, it's time to wake up those muscles. You know, yeah. I mean, my glute was gone on that side, and it had been. I mean, that's mm-hmm. because it just atrophied way down over the years, and now it's back. It's taken me four almost four years now, but so okay. All right, let me let me jam through two of these little bits of news for people who uh, like some of the science news, and then we'll go to break, and then we'll talk about rep quality or contraction quality. This first one is from David, longtime listener, um, sort of a general in the Iron Army, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, David sent this one. This is a, a piece on an antibiotic. Risk of tendon rupture with uh, fluoroquinolone use examined. Uh, it's by Cassandra Pardini. She's a PharmD. Now, if I remember right, David, the, there's been a link. The FDA has been talking about a potential link between these fluoroquinolone antibiotics and um, 
tendon rupture for a while now, like back, like, I don't know, 08, something like that, uh, with, with like a label warning. I think there's a label warning. Um, and again, I was trying to read up on this to remember because, uh, David's going to know more about this stuff than I do. Um, also in the past, like five years ago, these antibiotics were, I think these were the ones that were FDA warned to be related to peripheral nerve damage too. So these are not things that powerlifters are going to enjoy, right? Is, is this kind of stuff, but so, but I digress. Let me talk about what, what he said. He says, according to a recent conducted review of cohort and nested case control studies, the risk of both Achilles tendon and bicep tendon rupture is increased with the administration of fluoroquinolones. Um, however, it says the, the attributable risk is actually low. Um, so they talk about um, the use by itself and also concomitant use with corticosteroids. So people that are on some type of uh, corticoid, probably for inflammation and whatnot, could make it worse. Uh, the studies included patients from the UK Clinical Practice Research Data Link Gold. Uh, that's a mouthful. Uh, 741,000 fluoroquinolone users. Um, out of them, they identified about 4,000 cases of tendon rupture. Uh Findings revealed a low excess risk of any tendon rupture, about four people, 3.73, per 10,000 person years, as well as Achilles, specific tendon rupture, about three per 10,000 person years due to current fluoroquinolone use. However, and this is where I kind of raised my eyebrows, it was found the excess risk for any tendon rupture was significantly increased in patients receiving dual, right, concomitant fluoroquinolone and corticosteroid therapy mm-hmm. compared to patients receiving just corticosteroid monotherapy. And so instead of numbers like three and four per 10,000, it's 21 per 10,000 person oh. years. So a, a really sort of synergistic in a bad way thing going on between these antibiotics and the corticosteroids. Um, among current fluoroquinolone users versus unexposed patients, um, there was an elevation in tendon rupture, and they talk about Achilles versus biceps tendon, which is a little bit lower. Um, data analysis also found the risk of any tendon rupture was increased in females. Now, so this might maybe even worse in females. And in fact, that's what they conclude with at the end that um, you should consider when taking these these fluoroquinolones, particularly women or people over sixty, uh, increased risk of tendon rupture if you're going to have that kind of dual use of these two meds so good to know right that's good well to know. yeah and i mean another thing to add i think would be okay so three out of ten thousand the three out of ten thousand people is probably the amount that are training hard and heavy as well so i mean if, if they tested these on that actual group of people that actually train really hard i would like to see the statistics true yeah you know? population <laughs> I mean, specific going in and squatting 600 right after taking these things totally. so i just stay away from them as much as possible yeah. Morning. When it said biceps tendon rupture, that I thought of that too. Like, I don't know what the the incidence of biceps tendon rupture is, but in everybody I know, well, of course, like like you always say, I mean, these are the people we run with, right? But it's all, I've never heard of anybody rupturing a biceps unless they were training. Yes, you know, deadlifting in particular, but even biceps use, or I know you did one flipping a tire, right, and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, it may be higher. You're right in our population. So, good point. Yeah, it's worth the take the you know sit down with yourself and okay, do I really need to take this for my cold? <laughs> yeah, they hand those things out like they're candy, <laughs> right? You know? Right. Yeah. And I love my last cold. I didn't. I was like, okay, I'll take the cough syrup. I'm going to leave this to the side, and I'm not going to fill that prescription. And it went. Guess what? My cold went away. Right. And I'm okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I got one more. Um, This is from Advances in Nutrition. This is new this year, Volume 10, Advances in Nutrition, by uh, DeCuna and colleagues, D-apostrophe-C-U-N-H-A and colleagues. Curcumin for cognition. Is it just hype based on current data? Uh, This is a letter to the editor, uh, again, in Advances in Nutrition. It says, Dear Editor, uh, it's with great interest that we read two recent complementary publications that explore the potential for curcumin to promote health through improved gastrointestinal function and anti-inflammatory mechanisms. And a a lot of our listeners know, of course, we're not just talking about gut symptoms, but if you influence 
inflammation or the microbiome, right, the bacteria in your large intestines, it can have cascading effects throughout your body. Um, it says these were timely articles uh, because there's also been positive results investigating cognitive benefits by, of curcumin by small et al., um, suggesting larger trials are warranted because of the pleiotropic activity of bio-enhanced versions of curcumin. Uh, maybe I'll post a picture or two. I get a couple of curcumin products from the Now company, uh, but one's a phytosome. Uh, they, they do different things with them, lipid complexed and that sort of thing to try to get better absorption because Mike and I go on about this, but the a lot of these phytochemicals, they're not well absorbed raw. Uh, but in any case, um, bio-enhanced versions, uh, more studies are warranted because of uh, – their potential in managing age-related neurodegenerative diseases. So there are several. Alzheimer's is sort of the poster child for that. But it says the multiple neurobiological mechanisms by which curcumin may exert health effects, including those related to cognition, are currently receiving extensive investigation in an era where pharmaceutical trials have largely failed. Um, dot, dot, dot. So... Um, more evidence, I think, that curcumin is, if you can get it absorbed, um, it's its not just a joke. You know, it really is sort of a nootropic in, in, as far as maybe enhancing, not just reducing inflammation, but enhancing cognition. So, uh, cool stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about contraction and rep quality across <laughs> the different strength sports. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about rep quality, uh, if you will, or contraction quality, maybe. Um, I'm going to lead off with a, a concept from bodybuilding, and then, Phil, I'll ask you if this applies to powerlifters and then the different aspects, of course, because powerlifting training can be complex. But um, we talked about online before that 
studies actually support this, that you can increase the EMG, right, the electrical activity in a muscle just by thinking about it, like more triceps drive during a bench press if you're getting coached. Think about your triceps. Think about your triceps. So that mind and the muscle thing sort of evidenced uh, with electrodes on your skin, you know, and looking at this EMG activity. Uh, I've tried to get caffeine to stack with that, um, but that was that was a whole new set of challenges. But anyway, um, I'm going to offer one thing from the bodybuilding side, just a practical take-home, you know, consider trying it this week thing. If you have a problem with the whole mind and the muscle thing, because um, if you can get a better contraction quality, you can get more EMG activity. So mind and the muscle is something you might want to pursue. Um, I have long borrowed something from progressive relaxation techniques, if you've ever done those. You know, that's where the ones where they have you squeeze your hands and then relax, you know, squeeze your arms and then your shoulders. You kind of go through the whole body. But let's let's use this for our purposes. Uh, if you have a hard time putting your mind in the muscle, like the hardest muscles, and I bet you'll agree, Phil, or at least some of them, is lats. Like for beginning people, they don't have big lats. Mm-hmm. It's hard to engage your lats with back work. You end up doing a lot of arm emphasis, you know, with your rows and pull downs. And um, here's what I would suggest: you could do this most easily with your fists, but isometrically squeeze your fists, not not maximally. Try to do one quarter, just one quarter. And then release. Then wait after a couple of seconds. Squeeze them half. What? What's about fifty percent of your one repetition maximum there with that squeeze? Then relax. Then try three quarters and squeeze, and then maximally squeeze, just to sort of show your mind and practice. Like this is what you know a controlled muscle contraction feels like if that makes any sense. And you could do that with your biceps. You could do that with other muscles. Like I said, it's easiest with just your grip, I think. But teaching yourself different levels of contractility of, of, you know, uh, if you will, electricity dumping down those wires to the muscles, you can actually practice that and improve, in my opinion, this is an opinion, but you can improve your mind and the muscle kind of uh, ability in that way. So that's the bodybuilding side. I mean, God, watch old videos of Tom Platt, and he is just – he is in left field, like bouncing at the bottom of a movement, and you, he has gone inside, <laughs> that guy. Uh, but with powerlifting, uh, I guess my questions for you, Phil, are like, is it the opposite? Because it's not about individual muscles, right? It's, it's about a movement. I mean, in my mind, it's movement-based training, not individual muscle is it the opposite? Do you try to take your mind out of the muscle, and does it differ with accessory work? And what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, yes, we do do it. Um, is number one, I'll say thing I'll say, but generally we do it to the point where it's mindless. If that makes sense, we practice it enough to where you don't have to think about it. Like when we're going into a squat, it's hard to teach somebody. And I've preached this for a while at seminars and things. The biggest thing that people don't grasp in strength sports, we'll say powerlifting for this one, is the amount of tightness they need in a squat or deadlift or a bench. Okay. So training that, and a lot of that is mind on muscle. You've got to learn how to maximally contract your core, drive your legs out, you know. So what I teach people generally at the beginning, we're squatting very slowly into the as the eccentric, and then we explode on the concentric. We speed that up later only later to when they know how to because right now usually if i have somebody go down fast they go down fast and loose at the beginning we need them to eventually go down fast and very tight so we have to slow that down it's like anything you know to to learn something you slow it down a bit Mm -hmm. Um, skill so we learn that skill we learn how to maximally contract your abdominals maximally contract your upper back you know, you get your scapulas back and tight. You get your abs back and tight at the same time. You you spread your you get your hips tight, um, spread the floor. It's hard to do all that stuff at the beginning because you don't know what the hell you're doing. So we go very slowly and learn how to. You know, the further you go down, it should feel like you're getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until the bottom. Now we explode up. So if I just have you go down quickly at the beginning, you're just gonna flop down like a wet noodle and then try and come up very hard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we do do some of that, but then we're doing it to the point, okay, now we don't have to think about it anymore. That's just what we do. So, 
if that makes sense. It, so, uh, yeah, so you're saying it, it almost becomes a no-think motor pattern that you just it, yes. you just initiate and it just yep. goes. You just do that, yes. Yeah. So, and it, it has to be because to move maximal weights, like bodybuilders, when they're doing mind-on-muscle, I guarantee if you took, I don't know, Ronnie Coleman and said, okay, Ronnie, we're maxing your bench. Or we need to hit that at 800 for three or whatever it was. He wasn't thinking about maximally contracting his quads. No, right. The weight was the weight was as such that okay, I'm, I just got to stand up with this thing. So, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't concentrating on something. So we concentrate early, but when you're talking max weights, you you have to go mindless and just react. So that's what we're training for. We're we're training slowly and with a purpose early. So when we get to those maximal weights, we don't have to think. You can go mindless and just react because that's that's the motor pattern you've built. In one sense, that seems – instead of fine scale like what I was talking about, that's – you're almost trying to – it's so many things. It could be overwhelming. You know what yes. I mean? Like tighten this, tighten that. You know, Don't forget, yeah. spread the floor. And, and that would be very frustrating if you actually had to think about it. Uh, but All at once, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, is that true in gym training or just on the platform in a competition – you know? No, I mean, like I tell everybody, the, the gym is for it's for training is for being mindful. Competition is being mindless. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. Once you step on that platform to lift, uh, your training's done. Now it's just react. That's uh, that's all we can do. I can't I can't coach you at this point. The coaching's done. Now we just need to react with the coaching level that you've been at now, and then we'll work on whatever went bad later. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll know what we need to work on. Um, now our accessory work is very much so. I think more people, too many people on accessory work go crazy like, oh yeah, I'm going to do 500 pound bent over rows. It's like, no, lower the weight and just think about it. What we're, what are we trying to do with those? We're trying to build a big back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get your lats working. I think they should train that more like a bodybuilder mm-hmm. and think about the contraction. And it's like, think about what we're trying to do. We're not trying to build a max bent over row. We're trying to build a big back. So let's think about your back. And let's flex your back really hard while we're doing these. So rows. I'd for hypertrophy, use, it's the same as yes. the bodybuilders, really. With the yes, accessories I'd rather stuff. use less weight and have them do it right and think about what we're trying to build. Yep, I so. remember Gary Stridham, uh, and I was always a Gary Stridham fan. Just he's one of those guys, not a short man like you were talking about earlier, you know, yeah. and and yet balanced, you know. Yeah. But in any case, he used to talk about using your hands as hooks. He said, when you do back work, your hands are just hooks. Mm-hmm. You know, your mind is in your lats. And that yeah. actually, sometimes it just, it's a phrase like that that clicks with someone. You mm-hmm. know, and you're like, oh. Or like, you know, dumbbell rows. You know, you put a beginner in the gym, barbell or dumbbell rows. Um, yeah, they end up doing a lot of biceps work mm-hmm. instead of yes. moving at the shoulder and, and using their hand like a hook. Too much motion at the elbow kind of thing, but... That makes sense to me what you say about accessory work, right? That would be yeah. my my bias or my perception of what powerlifters would do is the accessory work is where you would do the mind and the muscle stuff. Yes. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's about all I've really got. I was curious about, you know, the way you guys uh, do that kind of stuff. And again, you know, the evidence I think is there that if you focus on a muscle, you really can ignite it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I, I I like to do things evidence based. I have to go pull that paper, but I guarantee yeah. if people go do a National Library of Medicine search, they can find some of that EMG stuff. That's why coaching works. I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> you know. And the, I mean, the other thing that we can do, and we do it a lot more in powerlifting than bodybuilders do. The other way to ignite things more is to move them explosively. Yeah. <laughs> oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. So you know, bodybuilders are trying to do a lot of tissue damage, so they do a lot of tempo work. On their big movements, right? We're trying to n- not so much do tissue damage on that. We're looking to be efficient and fast and explosive, but we're igniting a lot of stuff by moving it quickly. Like our squats may be very explosive. Like, you know, my guys were joking a couple well before my meet. Like, like until it got above five hundred pounds, it was like my feet were almost coming off the ground. Um, oh in yeah, my squat. So I, I'd be in a little wider stance, then I boom, I'd come up and I'd land in a narrower stance. And it's because I'm I'm turning everything on. That's I'm not right. No, I'm I, not squatting 500 on my warm up. I'm squatting the 700. I'm going to do here in a minute. That's what I'm getting ready for. Yep, I get it. So. Totally. Um, you know, when I do speed work, I still do it, right? Because um, 
if you don't do it, I don't think just doing slow, heavy stuff is going to bring quite the same explosiveness, mm-hmm. you know. And and I got to be careful with explosiveness with my joints and tendons these days. But for sure, but yeah, I, what I used to do is put one, and I used to do this, do this sometimes, one thirty-five or one eighty-five on the bar in a squat, sit mm-hmm. in the hole just for a moment. Because we were talking about actually the news last week, I was mentioning there's a new study on tempo work and power yeah. production. But um, and I would explode up so intensely, you know, maximal dynamic effort, right? Yeah. And and the bar yeah. would leave my traps. That was my yep. goal. The bar would yes. actually pop up off my traps because of yep. the that level of, of explosiveness. And yeah. you know, the funny thing is, like you said, with activating those motor units, um, I would surprisingly get weirdly sore from doing that yeah. you would think that it, oh that's so brief it's not the same thing but i don't do it often and mm-hmm. it it really emphasizes to me that well those tendons were really tugging and those muscles were really firing right because yeah. i'm actually yeah. oddly sore not maybe in the same way if i did a lot of slow lowering negatives but um no doubt that that's maximal effort yeah so cool Okay. Well, that'll be it then. Uh, next week, everybody, uh, we're actually looking at a couple of different guests coming down the pike, including uh, one of our own listeners um, who's just been there a lot over the years. And so we'll, uh, we'll just catch up with everybody next time. Yep. Sounds good. Talk to you later, guys. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.